You are listening to The Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast. Nathan here. Let's go bowling, dude. <laughs> Near the burgers? <laughs> oh, sorry. Near the In-N-Out burger. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm here with Tani and Ock. We have no special guest or no special host. It's just the three of us. <laughs> We're all pretty special hosts. We are. Special. Especially Ock. <laughs> like short bus? Well, I mean. Definitely on that. <laughs> to quote Theo Vaughn. No. <laughs> Theo Vaughn likes to talk about how he has the rear end of someone with MS. I don't know what that means. <laughs> that but I think maybe I'm, I do too. I don't know. Someone with MS is not the preferred nomenclature. No, <laughs> Equally capable? No, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, or yeah. maybe it's not even that. Anyway. Yeah, no, he says he has the rear end of someone with Down, with down syndrome. Now it's he says a, he has that Down syndrome rear end. <laughs> now it's officially <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. It's not good. Although I don't think it's actually not the wrong nomenclature. But you said short bus. Yeah. I think short bus might also. Be, <laughs> I mean, if it's not on the list, we should we could just put it on the list right now. Mm. Well, in light of all my van life um, research, short buses are a common conversion tool. Awesome conversion tool. <laughs> They're referred to as schoolies. You have to paint well, them all, non-yellow. All, all converted school buses are converted are referred to as schoolies, not just the short ones. You were right, but I think the short one is prefer- preferred for the conversions. You know, when I was a kid, um, we lived in an actual hippie bus for like a year. Is that a school bus? A schoolie before they a were schoolie. schoolies before they were schoolies. Did you have to paint it non-yellow? I heard there's some so, regulations. Yeah, this. we were camped out in Courtside, Arizona. Uh-huh. And um, the bus broke down, and my dad's meniscus gave out, and he couldn't push the clutch. Oh. So we were, like, stuck in Quartzite for a couple months. And the cops in Quartzite really didn't like, didn't like the fact that it was a school bus, and they made us paint it. Oh. And so uh. we, ro- we got, like, paint rollers. Oh, like full-on, like, Dunn Edwards. Someone had oh, some red paint, man. and someone had some white paint, and we mixed it, and we painted it pink. Wow. With, like, rollers. Are there pictures like, of this? Like, barely. We didn't, I mean, I totally believe we you, didn't, but I mean, like. not. I mean, like, not only did we not sand and primer it, but, like, we didn't probably clean it, really, before we painted it. <laughs> <laughs> it was painted under duress. Legal, legal duress. <laughs> yeah. We got, the, we got wood from an old barn, like, reclaimed wood from an old barn before. My parents did a lot of stuff that was cool. That's cool now. Back before it was cool, right? Like back then, I was embarrassed by it mostly. But now it's pretty. Now cool. you could Instagram the crap out of that. <laughs> How old were you at, during these times? Six ish. I mean, like over the era of like five, six. So was it a full length, like a full size school? Big, yeah. Not the shorty. Big. Yeah, we had bunk beds in there. Whoa. Yeah. Oh man, that is that is awesome. There's a cool documentary for a on while. Of, <laughs> for a while, a family from um, um, Colombia moved in with us. 
Wow. I'm not even making this up. <laughs> you can have house guests in a schoolie? <laughs> the Chapul and or, or I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I, I pronounced it right back then because, you know, kids can learn foreign languages mm-hmm. really well. Right. Chapul and Oro. If you're out there, shout out to Chapul and Oro. Nice. Your Colombian bus guests. Yep. Yep. Did, did it have the full lever thing that you, like, mechanically swing and open the door? Yep. Wow. How did you get in from the outside? Because that's that someone has to open that from the inside, right? The back door. I think through the back door, yeah. The back door. Okay. Correctly. That's a regular swing, latch, key. Nice. So so how long did you live the bus life? About a year. We traveled from we traded our pickup truck in Gainesville, Florida in and got the bus and traveled across the country kind of zigzagged slowly across the country on like secondary highways my dad doesn't like to like pin it on the freeway especially in the uh, his style is to find like the third alternative route Mm -hmm. and take that Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool right nice you can kind of see where i got it from a little bit (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so we went from gainesville florida to we stayed over um we ended up staying over the winter in west virginia like a kind of a, a, a farm, like a, some homesteaders, basically, that let us stay with them and help them with their homestead. They had this rad thing. They had a apple cider. Um, they would make apple cider from all their apple trees, and what they would, the thing that juiced the cider connected to the rear wheel of the truck. Nice. So they would jack up oh. the truck and take... Uh. Take and put like a rim with no tire on it, yep. and that would drive a belt that would turn the juice maker. Whoa. And like I remember being, you know, six and being like, "Okay, like I see now how the world is infinitely, you know, so many possibilities." Like for me, that was mind blowing that you could use your vehicle to make to turn a juicer. I, I hear the MacGyver theme song playing in my head. Uh. Yeah, that combined with, like, Dukes of Hazard combined with, like, the backwoods, like, hillbilly. Nice. Dueling banjos. Yeah. Sweet. And then some 70s disco, maybe. <laughs> That's rad. <laughs> this might have stretched into the early 80s. Um, yeah, may, yeah, probably, like, 1979, 1980. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Sweet. This wasn't yeah, we didn't plan 60s. to talk about this. No, this is, this is no. phenomenal. No, my parents are from the 60s. They are. Hashtag van life. So, yeah. Flower, OG. Flower children. They just stretched it into the early 80s. Yeah. And then you ended ended up in, in Oregon? No. My folks didn't end up in Oregon until I was an adult. No. We, we ended up in Hawaii and then right. back, and then Tustin. Hmm. With the bus? Did the bus go no, to Hawaii? Okay, so, so <laughs> we, got to, we got to California... And my parents um, formed some partners selling crystals. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they wow, they had this genius idea that they would put pop-up crystal stands in malls around the holidays and sell crystals. And they kind of killed it with their partners for a while. And then their partners moved to Hawaii, and they moved to Hawaii together to start like a to continue the business in Hawaii. But then, like you know, the world, you know that that. The crystal that paradigm <laughs> fizzled out. <laughs> Did it ever really fizzle? Is it still there? <laughs> it just moved to Sedona. Uh, no. Oh, I'm sure you uh. could get some crystals in Sedona. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a fact. 
or reading or pictures. But yeah, I mean, we stayed at, I mean, since I'm telling the story, we stayed at um, like a hippie commune for a while in Northern California, which was insane. And it was like a village, like, you, you know, there'd be like big, you know, there'd be like 50 people from the commune at like a, a feast and everyone would like play sports and like it was crazy it was weird wow and <laughs> a real commune yeah like a real commune we stayed at a nudist camp like we really were just like on this weird wild like and i'm just kind of it's kind of one of those things looking back on it like to, like thinking of my parents like kind of wreck kind of reckless with your kids like <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but cool yeah but it was yeah it's one of those things like it's one of those things you maybe wouldn't want your kids to have that experience, but um, then they might not turn out as they might seem like not quite as hard of an edge as someone who had <laughs> some hardship <laughs> and <laughs> uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, I was watching this van life documentary on YouTube. There's still a lot of people running around. They're just in sprinters now. But yeah, there was a f- family of five in a sprinter van. Have you seen the van life um, Portlandia? Oh, I don't know no. if I want What's to. funny is, no, you don't. So oh, my wife and I watched it together, and myself. Jamie kind of like told me afterwards, like, that's kind of how I feel about the van life a lot of the time, and we haven't gone out since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't want to watch There's, I think Port- I'm still into van life. I think Portlandia has... Un- uh, <laughs> quite a few times I've watched it and been like, I don't like myself. Well, it's, <laughs> the thing is, it's funny because it's true. Yeah. And it's good to be able to make fun of yourself. <laughs> oh, so. There used to be this blog that was pretty awesome. It was called Stuff White People Like. And I think he wrote a book and it was a com- combination. But it was like, you know, coffee, the idea of soccer. It was like, it was all sorts of really funny stuff that like basically hipster white kids like. And it gave an explanation as to why they liked it and... Why it was lame. Portlandia also takes down podcasting really well. Oh, I know. I thought it was awesome. I mean, so there's a new season because I haven't seen these episodes. Oh, man. (laughs) It's really good. If I'm going to watch this season, I'm going to hate everything I do. Well, no, it's more like they're going to they're going to shit on mountain biking. I'm just going to have to end it. (laughs) No, you're just involved in in because they're making fun of what's relevant. And so I know what's relevant, maybe. Uh. Or maybe it's just like everything you do is over. It could be over. I think the term the kids are using now is basic. That's so basic. Mm. (laughs) Basic van life. (laughs) (laughs) Like such a tool. Uh, I don't want to know that everybody is doing. Interests are pretty basic. You know, I feel like social media and the internet and all this stuff is like, yeah, you're not special. Is this a bike podcast? (laughs) Yeah, mountain bikes are over. We're we're just trying to cross over, actually. Um, <laughs> trying to get trying to get outside, just being a bike podcast. Step just gonna, over, Joe Rogan. We're coming for you. Un- unintentional. <laughs> we're gonna have Lance Lance Armstrong. That'll be our our bridge out. He seems to do podcasts. Let's let's get before I forget. We were talking right before the show. Should we shift gears into bike stuff, mm-hmm. or should we just do a whole like? Whole non-bike show. That would be a no. I think there was too much non-bike last time, mm. so I, I'd say let's get to get let's to the just, bike. Cacao. Hey, f- <laughs> cacao. 
Cacao on non-bike. Hey, funny guys. <laughs> funny guys, shut up and make with the bike. <laughs> so we were talking about the Athertons. Oh, yeah. I, yep. we saw, uh, remember we saw Atherton at um, oh. the secret spot on the way home from Moab? Yeah. Looking like with no shirt on, looking shredded. Totally shred, there's no better way to shred signal than to be G. Atherton with no shirt on. So I've heard him <laughs> referred to as Lord Bummer because he never smiles. <laughs> oh. So they started a bike brand, which you say is not a bike brand. So here's my understanding of what it is. Is they're in the, you know, the UK area and... UK has a lot of kind of fabby, techie bikes and stuff. And one of the guys is make, using carbon fiber tubes and um, rapid prototype titanium lugs. And then they glue them together. This guy had a company. It was called RoboBike. And actually, if you look at the details, it, it, it has to be the RoboBike. And, you know, the bike was, the frame was like $4,600 or something for, you know, and you get quasi-custom geometry. And um, it's... Based on the pictures, you know, they're not necessarily starting a bike brand. They went to this robo bike guy and said, Hey, can you print a downhill bike? He's like, Sure. And boom, there you go, you have Atherton bikes. Like it's not it's not yeah, quite but that amazing. Maybe by that logic, anyone who had a brand idea and then found someone to help them execute it and collaborated with someone more technical than them doesn't have a you know, it's for, a slippery slope for, for sure. saying and no one has a bike brand. No yeah, yeah. But in this case, these components um, because of how quickly it's made, there's zero tooling. There's zero like replicants to, to say of it. It's a completely like this bike is pretty close to coming off of um, a rapid prototype printer. Um, and my guess is the guy actually sources it out because those machines, I think, are like a quarter million dollars or more. You think um, it's going to be 4600 bucks for a frame? I think it was. Actually, if you look up Pink, Pink Bike did a review on RoboBike and you can see the details. It's clearly a RoboBike. Um, and let's see. Something tells me they're going to figure out a way to do it cheaper, but maybe I'm tripping. It's, you know, uh, in all honesty, it's not in their control. Like there's not a lot of, unless they take that geometry and tool it up with a standard, like welded frame, they they can't really reduce that cost. It is what it is. There's not much they can do. And, and the, the, um, rapid prototype titanium lugs, they just cost what they cost. Oddly enough, actually, and it's been my experience, I don't know if this is for sure a fact, but the uh, rapid prototype printed titanium components are actually cheaper than, like, say, stainless steel because titanium's more, um, uh, it's just more common for that center. And it's called D- DMLS, which I think is direct metal laser sintering. Do you know how how that process works exactly? Yeah. So what it what it is is there is a um, uh, there's like a pile of metal dust of a certain like type, t- ground up titanium, ground up titanium, like yeah, metal dust, and it pushes it over, and a laser goes by and centers it essentially, and center it meaning like welds the dust particles together in a certain lasered out pattern. And then turns it into a brake pad, <laughs> kind of. And then a machine goes in and like like a little rake pushes another layer of dust over, and then boom, it does another layer. Pushes another layer of dust over, boom, centers another layer. Pushes a la- layer of dust over, boom, centers another layer. And then you have this pile of dust. And I might have this slightly backwards, but this is generally how it works. Then you have a pile of dust. You shake off the part out of the dust, and boom, your part has been solidified within the titanium dust. Now, 
um, those machines are like the plastic parts are really precise. Like any d- dimension you do, like it keeps circles. The titanium parts are a little fussy and like sometimes, and I think what they're doing is say like the bearings or the pivot bolts or something, they have to take them out and then do what's called post machining, which the hole is rough. So you get the hole slightly smaller and it's rough. And then that's a guide. And then you run a reamer through and then it's precisely machined out of the centered titanium. And so that's essentially how they do it. Um, it's my understanding that F1 race trucks have these machines um, in the back, and say you blow out a wheel bearing housing, they can they have the CAD files. They can make one on site. You know, it and it takes like overnight. You know, like to to center a part out like that. It probably takes you know, eighteen hours, but it might be cheaper than them shipping one around the world on last minute notice or. Or they don't have to carry the entire spare parts. Yeah, I think they have a mountain of spare parts, but they have one of those machines for like, oh, we didn't think we were going to break that. Right. <laughs> this reminds me of a heuristic from my friend, the world-famous Andrew Kemp. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. His question that he put to me one time was, how long until we all have a machine that can build anything atom by atom at the push of a button? Um, An yeah, atomizer. I mean, that's... Like a, a 3D printer of everything. Mm. You know, and and for Star someone Trek. who works closely with 3D printing on a daily basis, and I actually yesterday went to a, a local um, uh, trade show in Anaheim. It's called MDNM. MDNM. And by the way, if you're in the local Southern California area, whether you're industry or not, and you want to see all sorts of machines that make things, it's really cool. But it's more high industrial side, so it's like injection molding machines, machining machines. CAD companies, rapid prototype machines of all sorts. Um, it's free to get in, and it's typically Tuesday through Thursday during the week. But if you've got nothing to do and want to see some cool stuff, go check mm-hmm. it out. It's also called the medical device you know, stuff, but it's pretty much just general manufacturing. Robobike, by the way, 4,400 pounds. Yeah. And I think that it equates to about $5,000 for a frame. That's a pretty good synthesis of cool. information, by the way, Nathan. Yeah, that's oh, good. Thank you. Oh, and oddly enough, there's another company called, I think, like, Metier or Metier or something like that, they do a, the same bike manufacturing technique, titanium lugs, carbon fiber tubes. They do road bikes. And when I was at the show yesterday, I walked by a rapid prototyping company and they had the Metier head tube sitting on their display bench. Mm. And that was a company that I've done business with. And they're in Chicago. Vitas Bikes. Vitas? Not Vitas. <laughs> Vitas. Vitas? No, not Vitas. <laughs> The lugs with the carbon in between. Uh, was that old Vitus? Yeah. Oh, Vitus There's is not a, a chain lot of reaction brand. Have done lugs with carbon. Yeah, a lot of the first carbon bikes were lugged. Mm-hmm. Right, but the thing with the rapid prototype lugs is that you can adjust the geometry really quick in right. CAD, and then you just cut the tubes, boom, 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 glue them together. You're done, ready to go. It's an interesting synthesis of information that Nathan did there because on the latest Pink Bike post, there's the there's the titanium lugs or the lugs that are that are shown in the yeah yeah and actually if you see some of the early ones the upper seat post connection says r160 mm. i'm guessing it's yep. not a 160 bike uh, why would you so change exactly. that <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's a robot just a vanity robot. project or you think the atherton's think they can sell five thousand dollar frames no i here's what here's what i think and this is this is kind of how i it's like the it's the nascar race team model is it's atherton racing 
and basically like people think it's a frame company race team right it's not it's atherton racing who has a frame supplier and they're like we're tired of dealing with the big boys and you know trek wants to control them too much specialized wants to control them too much like we just need a frame 90 percent of the cost of the bike is not the core frame their suspension's more expensive their wheels are more expensive they just have to collaborate a group of parts that they need get a couple of sponsors and they just need a frame to tie it all together this guy could make them any frame they wanted on on demand with the weagle you don't the, think they're gonna try to weagle see suspension. i think you don't pay i think you don't pay weagle and all that unless you have some and you don't go through all this unless you have but atherton didn't pay weagle robo paid weagle that's yeah. already done someone's that planning was done. to make some someone's planning to sell some units i think robo bike probably sold 15 bikes since their inception and if he makes bikes for Atherton, puts by the way, it's a die cut sticker. <laughs> like you put a die cut sticker on your frame and make one that's an eight inch travel version. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, Maybe you'll sell thirty. <laughs> like, and I think that's what it. But it's going to be. There's just no way to drive that cost down. But well, the if they decide on a geometry and use a different production method for the lug, if they could, use a different production method, you can drive the which cost down. The, I don't. I think the the production method drives the kind of um one-off nature or the ability to make you know whatever you want but once you have something like once it's like okay this is g's bike and then now we're going to mass produce it i suspect that's in the works yeah and that may may or may not be the atherton's maybe that's the atherton's end game but maybe the atherton's end game is to make money off of through the various component Non-industry sponsors, component Not sponsors. In, yeah, exactly. Well, it's their endorsements, and I think... That's exactly it's, right. It's yeah, my understanding... Yeah, but I think they're, they're walking away from significant money from a frame sponsor to do this. See, that's the part that I'm not sure... That's the part that I have suspicions about, because... Or at like, the very least, like, turnkey support and, and free frames. Maybe and, Rachel and is... some money. But I think when you get enough money from from the collaboration of sponsors, you can buy a mechanic and a team truck and and fox has basically most of your quote-unquote factory support is going to be your suspension and fox has them covered but how is this better for them i think it's better for them because it i would guess that the majors such as trek try to drive them into a little bit more of a quote-unquote factory race program whereas this gives them much more freedom to kind of run their own race program. And also I think the money, I, I believe that the money raised to fund the race team, they can peel off a bigger chunk of that total funding for their salaries. That's what I think. So they, all the money's there, their man, it's their race team. And so they, you know, like Trek, Trek negotiates the salary and they race for Trek Racing. Trek on the back end negotiates all the rest of it. In this case, they negotiate all of it. There's no middleman. They, you know, they raise three million dollars. Their expenses are two million dollars. The Atherton salary is now a million dollars split between or whatever. You know, whereas Trek would have paid them one hundred fifty thousand dollars a piece. But why not do up these what numbers. they're doing and instead just get sponsorship from like an Intense or a YT or like a? Uh, I think they could have done that. I think. Um, it depends how much the quote-unquote title sponsor pays because I, my suspicion is with these high factory race teams, they're going more towards a NASCAR model where they're, the title sponsor is not necessarily going to be the frame maker anymore. So right. think like right. um, 
it's it's Atherton Racing. Honda. Yeah, like it's going to be Honda Racing supplied by XYZ Frame, or it's it's basically it's Atherton Racing with a conglomerate of sponsors. Mm-hmm. Who knows what each of them put in? Um, my guess is actually Red Bull is the biggest contributor. You know, because I think Rachel's Red Bull. I don't know if G's Red Bull or not, mm. but I think Red Bull writes the biggest check. That's my guess. And Rachel might be the biggest draw. She, yeah, well, she's the winner, right? Yeah. She's also not the youngest, win- right? Yeah, G's not the winner anymore. But there is a cool story to tell with the three of them. So yeah. as far as an attractive sponsorship packaging, yeah, it probably looks pretty good. How many years could G even have left, though, too? You know, I don't know, like... What do we see typically like when racers get around mid-30s, they tend to inherently slow down, which I'm sure there's all sorts of scientific nature between, you know, with drops in testosterone and things like that. Like it, downhilling is a super aggressive sport and we don't have 40-year-old pro winning downhillers. We just never have. It's just Minar is close. Right, right. You know, and the ar- arguably Minar's slowing down, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and Aaron Gwynn's getting close to that age. He's probably peaking. He's kind of moving on to a different paradigm as well, right? Yeah, and so that's the other thing as well. Is And, and that was a discussion I had very much with the YT thing, is everybody's like, yeah. oh, Aaron Gwynn's off YT. I was like, in my opinion, and I may have this slightly wrong, is I was like, no, he He's has moving. all the same sponsors. He yeah. just got a new frame supplier and, for Gwynn Racing. Right? Well, he switched tire sponsors. Yep. And, fra- and, and he's... But TRP brakes, Fox suspension... Intense uh, frames. Red Bull, and he just switched to intense frames from but YT. But I think, did Moyer also join up with his thing too, though? I think Moyer is still under contract with Intense, and they couldn't break contract with him, so he had to get kind of rolled into the fold. But it's my understanding that it's um, it's XYZ Racing Company. Like, I bet if you looked at the financials, it's like XYZ Racing Company LLC, right? Owned, and the, uh, you know who owns that too, right? Ryan Dungey yeah. and Jeff Steber and Aaron Gwynn are all, I think, the owners of the race team entity. Right. That's my understanding as a business model. Yeah. Because here's the reality. I is, bet you that's also kind of how the corporate structure of Intense is now too. Right. Well, and also, like, here's, here's, an, here's another thing and this is i was talking to a friend about this the other day is and this kind of goes back i don't mean to go too far into the fire festival thing but so um and i I also have another friend that works in industry and there was uh, a particular influencer they were paying and just anecdotally this person um some company you had to showcase this product six times in a year and this person got one hundred and sixty thousand dollars to showcase a particular product in their Instagram feed six times a year. That's, and I'm like, how would someone pay for that? But you think about it like, okay, let's say this p- company, which was a major company that made this product that we all probably use, um, or let's just, let's just say it's like Gatorade or something. Like Gatorade's like, hey, we can spend $5 million to make a commercial, cast a commercial, shoot a commercial, create it, get the contract, get it on network TV. We have, we have no numbers, which is way diminishing, right? Like there's way less people and, or we can go to yeah, this known old, old approach that's w- tired. Right. Or we can go basic. to this known entity where it's told, we have to produce nothing. We have one point of contact at the, at Gatorade, let's say. And this person goes, Hey, just have six posts throughout the year with showing you drinking a Gatorade. 
and but they know exactly how many eyeballs are on it. This person, let's say, has six hundred thousand followers. Well, and down to the number of impressions on the posts. Yeah, the likes and all that. So views. In, in light of that, I guess roundabout what I'm getting at yeah. is that these race teams, the the model is people watch racing. This person rides this race bike. People see it. We know how many people watch the racing. Investing in the race team is buying this audience. You're buying these companies are buying your audience, your eyeballs, right? So the question is, as long as there's eyeballs on racing, but I also think it's harder to track. Yeah, and it's really expensive because to to field a World Cup downhill race team, my guess would be three million dollars for a season, and that's race truck over in Europe. Multiple racers, multiple mechanics, plus equipment. And the equipment pretty much comes with the spot. Like, those guys aren't paying for equipment. That's part of the deal, right? Um, but they do have to pay for tools and housing and travel. And, um, and I mean, I would guess the budget to field a three racers at every World Cup race in a season is probably $3 million, salaries included. So as a company, it depends what your share of that is. But if you're fronting it... Do you think you're getting $3 million worth of exposure or you could break that up, let's say, at $100,000? high. I'm, I, okay. think it's, I think that's high as well. Okay, so maybe $2 million would be your best guess. $2 million, A million? I'm thinking, like, the biggest teams who are... The biggest teams, I think, are still only paying their athletes, you know... I, but I think the athletes are probably 20% of the total race team budget. Okay. Athlete salary, because I think truck... You got to buy a truck. You got to do all the traveling. You got to do all the race entries, all, and pay the mechanics and the logistics people and all that. I'm thinking seven hundred and fifty thousand a racer. Okay, so let's say seven fifty a racer. That's, that's three, just a reel from the hip. Yeah, like, three racers. So we're getting close to two million dollars if you multiply that out times three. Yeah. So two million dollar race program. If you could, who could you pay a hundred thousand dollars to get six posts in a year? That's 10 times 2, 20 people times, and those people probably have 100,000 followers each. So now you're up to 2 million eyeballs that you could take that same money and you have no liability. You're done. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, there's no one to manage it other than one person to just manage the contracts with those Instagram people. Yeah. Just a thought. I could be totally wrong. Sure. I mean, I think that there's, some sort of research that would show, like you said, win on Sunday, buy on Monday, whatever. Um, like the impact of sponsoring a winning racer versus paying Absolutely. someone a hundred thousand dollars. Well, like, my impression yeah. is that win did help sell a lot of YTs for sure, and I'll yeah. be curious to see if they sell less now. But I mean, and here's here's a wild thing, and and I don't know how you'd figure this out, but like, which is a let's way say, what I was just saying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's say Kylie Jenner, for some reason, got into mountain biking. How much would you pay Kylie Jenner to ride your mountain bike? And how much would that boost sales? And not only that, crack open sales that you normally wouldn't get. I think it depends what bike brand you are and what you're trying to sell. Because like, Kylie Jenner's not going to sell a whole lot of transitions. <laughs> I agree. But maybe. What if, what I if? mean, it would be an interesting experiment. Yeah, that's she a, would, for I mean, sure. You would get clicks on the video or whatever. Mm-hmm. For, it would blow up Pink Bike. If it's like, 
And and what if they turned like because BKXC right? He's a guy on Instagram and are on on. He has a YouTube channel and his whole thing was I suck at mountain biking here. Watch me learn to mountain. And and that's been a YouTube model thing. Like let's say Aki wanted to get into uh, tennis. You start at you, you're like hey YouTube people I suck at tennis. I'm going to do a video every week and learn to play tennis. And like for the next five years you're the you're like showing how YouTube I tennis Ock and all this and that's what essentially BKXC did on YouTube. What if Kylie Jenner is like, I'm going to get into mountain biking. Ah, like, you know, who knows? Be interesting. It's a brave new world. We might sell a bunch of bikes to um, people who wouldn't have bought bikes before. Yes. And is that audience bigger than the dudes who are like, I'm going to buy a bike because Gwen bought a bike or because Gwen has a bike. Um, for certain types of bikes. Probably not yes. for M M sixteens or I think it M9s would be or whatever they are. I think it would be a however many M's they are now. <laughs> a lot of M's. I think it'd be a fascinating marketing study. I find marketing and like sales psychology fascinating sometimes. Like you know, like it, it, I'd love to get Luke. He Luke used to work at the shop, and he has a degree in philosophy and and like. You know, there's a lot of reasoning and ration. There's a lot of like false conclusions that people make. Like, there's these um, rational fallacies or something that people make all the time. It's like, oh, well, this person buys this, therefore, and they look like they're having fun. Therefore, I buy this. I have fun. Like, we make that connection all the time, not thinking it. I make that connection, thinking it's an admit. Like, Ock remembers me totally yeah. admitting it. <laughs> You're a baker's dozen behind on the M's. <laughs> How many M's are there? 29. There's oh 29 M's? Gosh. 29 M's, dude. <laughs> are they just, is it going to go exponential? Is the next one going to be oh, like man. a 129 and a 529? That's an and M a... for every inch in diameter that the wheels have. <laughs> that is. Wow. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> it's a good... I, have to, I really think that's a good-looking bike. To me, that might be the best-looking downhill bike right now. Just it, like looks. In the words of Slobby World, it's so fire. It's not basic looking. <laughs> it's so unbasic. It's so fire. By the way, if anybody hasn't watched Slobby's World on Netflix, you got to watch it. It's awesome. Apparently, 80s and 90s stuff is vintage, and it's fire. My, uh, and my theory, too, just while we're talking about it, is that Gwen's going to dominate harder than ever this year. I don't disagree with that. I think he's got, I think he's got like a home court feel raise, like with, with the company being right in his backyard. Yes. And I have not ridden the M29, and I have not ridden a YT. Something tells me it's a better bike. Like, my gut feeling is it's a better bike. Agreed. It looks good. Well, and what it did, like, it might, you know, we, we don't know what really caused Moyer to, like, have such a big improvement. Like out of nowhere, come out of nowhere and start really being on the like on the podium, but it well, happened yeah. right when that bike came out. Yeah, also his trajectory and the number of years he was racing is typically when you see racers like it if racers are gonna yeah it was his time anyway. But um, no, I think that's that's a that bike's fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I learned so my son is nine, and speaking of words like. He likes it. His thing he likes to say right now is get wrecked. What? Get wrecked. So, like, it's the same. It's interchangeable with, like, burn. Uh, or um, he also will use interchangeably wasted. Wow. 
So these keep are ways. Me, how old can, is your son? He's nine. Yeah, keep me up to date with your nine-year-old son on the lingo because yeah. I need to stay in the. Yeah, lingo. we need to know. <laughs> we need to know the modern way to tell someone like burn. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna mess it up so bad. <laughs> oh, I'm still at least happy that I can effectively say teenage mutant ninja turtles because when it was my age, no adult could get that sequence out correctly. It was mutant ninja teenage turtles or some <laughs> some weird mutate like some weird combination. Mutation of TMNT. Yeah, but it was teenage mutant ninja turtles. Mom! It's Donatello! They made a comeback for a while. Yep. Slobby's World showcased that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, I can't believe we haven't talked about um, AXS. Yet. Oh, yeah. The wireless shit. Access. It's awesome. You know, one thing I was really it kind of I was wondering if they named it Access because everyone was calling it Eagle Tap. So they couldn't call it Eagle Tap. And uh... then also like the E-verb. It's not the E-verb. Oh, that would have been awesome. What? Like everyone was talking about Everb and the Eagle Tap for Eagle Tap for years and then it's Access and then it's spelled A X S. But awesome. one thing I will say is I don't understand how to phonetically <laughs> it's phonetic spelled it's phonetic. A K I. I don't know spelled how to exactly. phonetically make A X S access, but maybe the people who come in the shop and ask for SRAM do. Uh uh, the computer dorks. <laughs> you, you guys have that SRAM? Yeah. SRAM. Yeah. Do you like SRAM? SRAM. Or S Himano? <laughs> I okay, so can we can we talk about the fact that Shimano has basically kind of like screwed the pooch, XTR's still not out, and SRAM's like boom, boom. wireless bitch. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um Shimano, you're dead to me. But the pedals are cool. So how are you thinking about um, the, the system right now with the, the shifting as, and, the, and the dropper post? So for the dropper post, I think it's awesome that you can just take it off. Yeah. So yeah. Like, what about oh, like if dang. I want to go all like 50 to 1 and put a rigid post on my bike with the nose of the seat pointed up? I could just do that one day. Like yeah. I could have that seat post and that post in my workshop ready to just put on that bike. And That's like go rad. to the bike park, and have my have my like shred signaling seat because, like, it's not really ultimate shred signaling at the bike park to have a dropper post. New, no. agreed, and the seat angle won't be right. You wouldn't. I mean, the the, the right, and if it is, why like then you raise up your dropper post and you have your nose pointed up in the air like a BMXer and. Yeah, I would say that's a recipe for um, what we would call groin pressure. Mm. <laughs> that's what you call that groin pressure. I I think it's uh, I think it's pretty rad. I mean, granted, it's the first intro. Everybody said this about XX One when it first came out. Oh, it's so expensive. Yes, it's expensive. It's going to get cheaper. Relax, but it's rad. Well, and it has like the bike yoke reverb rip off thing too, where you can bleed it with a button. So, oh yeah, that's rad. I like that. So here's a here's a quick question. And they raised the sorry to interrupt. They raised oh. the service interval. I think to I want to say six like some ridiculous number of hundreds of hours. Wow. Hmm. I I feel like the first time you get a box bike in with the electronic shifting, the um, build time for your tech might be up to forty percent faster. 
it's going to be faster. I, I think it might be notably faster. Because yeah. I think, mo- like, I can get a bike mechanically together in, like, 10 minutes, and it takes me, like, 30 or 40 minutes to get the cabling down. You know, connected, running, all that stuff. Yeah, trimmed, yep. looking good. Exactly. High and tight. Yeah. And in, in a roundabout way, they've answered my, my pleas. No more internal routing. Yeah. <laughs> Because those were the two things that were always internal routed. Yeah. Soon we're going to have um, Bluetooth activated braking. Ah, <laughs> no one, no, everyone's really sketched Ooh, out about ah, that idea. E- oh. mm-hmm. It might even have like various tunes of anti-lock options. Ah, <laughs> ooh, may- maybe not good. Maybe not good. No. Anti, yeah. Anti-lock. It's, it's pretty rad. It looks good. And and also there has to be logic built in that your shifting is always going to be too it like because Shimano did this it like overshift the electronic shifting overshifted just a touch so that you you know you never mm-hmm. had to like push and hold that kind of thing like on fuzzy it's going to be crisp I mean yeah. the, if you've ever ridden E tap on the road it's crisp it's really money it's it's going to trickle out right we're going to have NX wireless. <laughs> On that 600-gram cassette. Maybe. It is cross-compatible. It looks really clean. So for now, for they're gonna, in late February, early March, you're going to be able to get a Grupo with Crank's cassette shifter derailleur chain. And right. for XX1, that's going to be $2,000. So here's the question I have, because, of course, these are the parts you need. Derailleur and shifter, how much is it? That's so we don't need. know, because right now we only have pricing for the whole Grupo, and they haven't, they haven't shown us backed-out pricing. But if you reverse it, but but it is other than the finish, it's an XX1 cassette and cranks. You can back out the price and chain. So if you subtract that, I want to say the shifter and derailleur it's a thousand are bucks. a little over a thousand bucks. Shifter and derailleur, a thousand bucks. I mean, you could if you do buy it. The only thing that's a non-consumable a is the cranks. Uh. I mean, you can you, use that cassette. Right. Right. You can uh, use the chain. I mean, arguably, the derailleur, you can replace the pulleys, right? And the shifter stays. Ock, are you going for it? Do you want it? How bad do you want it? Man. Do a $1,000 want it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I ordered mine. What? Seat post two? Shirts. I ordered my Everb and my Eagle Tap. Oh, dang. What? My Ack. Is that the Oxus? Can I Axis you a question? I, what, <laughs> can I axis? It looks pretty cool. I mean, I, I think I'm a big fan of easily serviceable stuff, and that does kind of tickle my service. What are you putting things. it on? Good question. Undecided. Nomad. You know, mm. I like. Advanced. You know, as as Erica from our race team said, the purpose of the Nomad is like for making bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why it goes there. <laughs> so I'm getting it's it's an expensive trailer to make bad decisions on. I yeah. I feel like, I, and I I was talking to a coworker today about this, and he's like, "Dude, that's a seven hundred dollar derailleur hanging out there." I was like, "I think it is." Well, At you least. know, they do knock it on the on the video. Do they? About this hard. Oh. <laughs> Octapped gently. <laughs> I'm guessing Very Scram's going to figure out a way to keep people happy. 
We'll see. I'll be really interested to see what happens the first time someone smashes. Like, yeah, it's expensive, and you know, Pink Bike was lit up. Well, you can get a Solex for blah 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 blah. I'm like, well, you can. Yeah, <laughs> buy true. a Huffy for ninety eight dollars. Also, we're talking about high end crap here. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's rad. Get over it. It's expensive. <laughs> Wasn't there a bike company that called it was um, uh, like ELS or expensive lightweight shit? Yes, that <laughs> sounds familiar. I think that was Action Tech. Mm. It was like their ELS cassette and it was expensive lightweight shit. <laughs> That's what this is. I like that oil slick finish they did on it too. Yeah. It's like a rainbow. It's yeah. That's, uh, that's popped up every now and again on titanium stuff. I, I think it looks pretty awesome. I, uh, yeah, man. And to only have two cables running on your entire bike. It's like a single speed cockpit. Why is it going to look like a single speed? It's very clean. Very clean fire. That alone. (laughs) Definitely. You could show up with your new AXS and just tell everyone else on the ride to get wrecked. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't wait till they break it out. And you're like. Yeah, I want the uh, I want the wireless derailleur and the wireless shifter and an NX cassette and uh, <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> plastic pedals. Plastic pedals. <laughs> I can't afford anything else. <laughs> Man, you know, little tangential t- comment. I'm all about plastic flat pedals. All of a sudden, like the big nylon ones, the Kona Wawas to be specific, but. Like, I was running the metal Wawa's, and now I'm a plastic Wawa convert. Por qué? They're lighter. They f- feel the same. I believe they're strong. Nice. Are, it's a like a glass-filled nylon or something? Something like that, yeah. Huh. Interesting. And then, you know, a big stainless axle and big bearings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Back to the access. It's rad. I actually think it's pretty cool. It's ridiculously I, expensive. I agree, too. I'm going to well, lust after it. I think if you think of the drivetrain as being about 500 bucks more than the, than the acoustic version. <laughs> it doesn't sound as painful. Because the $2,000 price tag, everybody's like, what, $2,000? No, it's like, that's the whole thing. And once they're going to eventually make it. Com- well, the XO com- one's only 1860 <laughs> what a deal. Well, is the XO one being being touted as more of a, a trail version of the Yeah, it it has like the um like cor- for something filled cranks that supposedly makes them a little stronger and mm. That's cool. So here here question cuz you you know, you're at the shop and you see a lot of parts come through. How are SRAM brakes doing these days? It's been a long time for since I've, you know, the th- you're asking about the thing, the thing, the thing being like the lever um, suddenly doesn't have any free stroke. Yeah, the piston just, and the lever, uh, the size was off and it get jammed. It happened usually on a hot day, right? Um, there was a time when we were seeing those pretty much every day, sometimes multiples a day. I would say now we're almost never seeing it. So and here's here's why uh here's why I ask and I I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show but I have mentioned it to you is 
I'm done with Shimano brakes. Mm-hmm. I'm just done. I don't want to like. There's too many. Yes, they work, but there's too many peripheral issues, and I'm just tired of them. I'm done. Yeah, well, I would say you know, probably all of them could have issues, but codes feel amazing too. I've felt a couple codes, and they do feel rad. And guides are good, and levels are good, but codes are really uh, out of this world good. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, Shimano brakes. I've had too many leaky levers, and the uh, ceramic pistons seem to uh, weep mm-hmm. fluid vapor, maybe, onto the pads and contaminate them. And I'm just really, really tired of that. I also like the leverage rate curve better on this on the ceram brakes. Okay. I'm. Uh, I've been experimenting with TRP brakes. Oddly enough, I've actually. Um, I have a set of uh, Hayes Prime brakes. Oddly enough, which I'm actually been really happy with. And then I was um, testing the Dominion brakes for a while, and uh, those were amazing. Dominion? Those are the new Hayes downhill brake. Okay. That was pretty critically acclaimed. Um, what but, are your favorites of those so far? TRP? Uh, I haven't put enough time on the TRPs. Um, they're okay. They feel... F- they Honestly, they feel like... A lot of people call it modulation. They feel like a little mushy. Um, the one, the best ones from a pure feel standpoint were those Hayes Dominions because they had a, a bearing lever and a nice mm. burly lever and the piston is huge or the, I'm sorry, the caliper is huge. The stopping power was really good. Um, and the, uh, the lever action, at least on the ones that I was testing was very, very light. So the force that it took to bring the lever from right. the resting point to the contact point was very very low and i liked that it, they felt like feathery and then it should be there's anything else is is like either friction or covering up for maybe a, like a retraction probably like yeah more to, spring than you need maybe to me every sram brake that i've grabbed that force between resting and contact is too is uncomfortably high hmm. to me and the haze were amazingly low. Mm-hmm. The Dominions specifically. The Primes are on par with. That's an older design. It's on par with the uh, with Stram. I have a I have a hankering to try Hope brakes because I am a sucker for machined stuff. Mm. I like Hope brakes when they're working. <clears throat> do they do they get fussy? No, it's not so much. I wouldn't say they really get fussy much more than any other hydraulic brake, but they're hard to get service parts for. Mm, yeah. And they don't get fussy less. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just... The Shimano thing, like, they've they've had the floating contact point issue quietly for a long, long time. Um, And the weepy piston thing, like... And then the leaky lever thing. I've just... I've had too many issues. It's just... It's frustrating. Well, and the big thing reason people got Shimano brakes was mainly just because they, back of the day, they were low maintenance and they worked a lot of the time. Yeah, and I feel like that was the pre seven eighty five generation. That was actually super super reliable, and maybe the seven eighty fives, which was the first gen of the new lever, like the the XT levers with the silver cap. Those ones were great, and then after that, it was they were fussy, just really mm. fussy. And the ceramic piston thing, if you ride a lot, it's not a problem. But if let's say you have a bike like I do that maybe my enduro bike only comes out during the summer, I pull it out. And I'm like, man, I got to like pull out. I got to clean the calibers. I got to like cook the pads. I got to decontaminate the whole system. I'm like, this is what a pain in the butt. 
I just don't want to. Like, no, I didn't even touch the bike, and it went south. Mm. Makes me want to drink dot fluid. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't like dot fluid either because it's like you know, it's like radioactive, right? You get on something that peels paint, blah blah blah, and it's like ugh, it's kind of a pain in the butt. And the haze ones are the hope ones. They run dot fluid and they bleed like a motorcycle brake where you got to take the cap off and drip the, like, ugh. Whereas the TRPs run mineral. They run a bleed port like a Shimano. So you can bleed them clean. Um, you know, it runs mineral, which is, you know, feels less of a toxic issue. My Magura MT7s are in between bikes if you want to try them. And maybe. Maybe. I would say those brakes have a light lever action and a good feel, and they just are a little they they're a little hard to keep like tuned where the pads don't rub. I've I've worked on those on a friend's bike, and I the ones that I was working on had four separate little pads. They didn't have one solid pad, and those things were fussy. Mm. Well, and they don't retract as far as some brakes, so they're like yeah. always right there wanting to rub. Uh, dang it. I may go on my cable break manifesto again. Yeah. <laughs> Before we do that, should we talk about favorite tools? Yes. I love tools. Favorite tools. Okay. So should I couch it? Sure. All right. So I was talking to the guys. We were like, what should we talk about? I was like, well, what are your top tools? And we were debating like numbers and things like this, but it was like couple, like what are your favorite couple of trail tools and what are your favorite couple of shop tools? And not, um, I was the reason I thought of this, I was watching YouTube and Seth's bike hacks did a, these are your fun, your first five tools you should buy or something. You did something like that. Like a newbie. What are your like, tools? Like is this most used tools? No, this is like, Hey, we've been doing this for a while. Which tools put the biggest smile on your face where you're like, mm. I love this tool. Like, yeah, we all have Allen wrenches. You all have to have Allen wrenches, but, and maybe it's a particular type of Allen wrench that puts a real smile on your face. But what I'm saying is, the tools that you're like, oh, yeah, this is, I love this thing. Or maybe even something you don't pull out often, but when you do, you're like, I love that I have this. Like the tools that you are very happy you spent the money on. Pack tools. And I was going to put a number on it, but whatever. It's open form. Whatever. Let's just talk about. Well, for me, a lot of that is the ones I use the most. Okay. And that's totally cool. I would say. Mm-hmm. So... Like to me, the key. I mean, tra- I mean, on the trail, I think the key tools are tire levers and yep. inflation. But I guess the tool that I like, the tool that kind of puts a smile on my face, is my Dyna plugs. I guess on the trail. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. That's like that's expensive. It's super nice. I enjoy using it. So a lot of times, it does something that the bacon. Like the three dollar or the seven dollar bacon could do just as good in that case, right? But other times it solves a problem that the bacon couldn't. Nice, and it's flashy and it's sexy and it's aladized. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a purple one. Yeah, and it, uh, yeah, Dyna plug tire plugs, pretty special. Yeah, what kind of tire? There's a tool I want to buy pretty bad. What's that? Um. Abbey Tools derailleur hanger? Well, we have that on the shop, and that's a special tool. for. That's definitely one that feels good in your hands. And, yeah. And derailleur hanger alignment gauge is one of my favorite tools anyway. I, I second that. Like, mm-hmm. that's one thing where, like, when I need it and I have it, I'm so happy. Well, and it's one of those things where 
it's it's often the difference between like you know like B plus shifting and A plus shifting is like a yeah. minor hanger alignment. Yep. I've I've resorted to taking a derailleur hanger alignment tool with me as a um as a road trip. It goes in the road trip toolbox now. Because that's one where you're on a road trip, you're riding for multiple days, you bang the derailleur on the first day. Do you want to be like, damn it, it's misaligned the whole trip? Yeah. Or, no. try, or be aligning it with a crescent wrench, yeah. mm-hmm. nope, which it, I've done. It goes or, on road Or trips. like literally prying the, it with your hand. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. I It's frustrating. I sometimes pretty good results with that. But uh-huh. not like a derailleur uh-huh. hanger alignment tool. Nope. I love it. Um... What kind of tire lever do you like? Pedro's yellow, yes, or pink. So there's a cool one out there that can double as a chain pliers, and KMC makes it, Hmm. and they're two pretty like a master link tool. Yeah, they they're two tire levers and they cross together. I have a I have a few of them. I can show you guys. The wolf tooth one. Here's what I don't like about the wolf tooth one. I think it's really nice. It does double as a single tire lever. It stores chain links. But it's a machined aluminum tire lever with kind of sharp edges. Yeah. Carbon fiber, nice anodized rims. Yeah. Like, there's something like bicycle tire levers should always be plastic. And I think what Wolf Tooth should have done is on their design made that lever spoon bolt on as a Delrin machine Delrin piece, not an aluminum piece. And then the tire lever can. Smooth. So, Wolf Tooth, if you're listening, I love your tire pl- tools. Make it an attachable Delrin tire spoon at the end. But that you like the KMC. On. If Wolf Tooth made what I described, I'd like the Wolf Tooth better because it stores the links. Yeah, storing the links is cool. But the KMC well, is what cool. What if they even just plasticized the surface? Of- yeah, there's a number of ways to do it. But yeah, that because they machine everything, I don't mm-hmm. think they do a lot of injection mold parts or anything like that or dipping or overmolding. I think they could easily and Delrin machines really easy. It's kind of up their alley, their machine shop. Maybe our shaker can. There's a tool in the shop right. Yeah. Dip it, plasti dip it. Yep, exactly. There's a new tool in the shop right now that I want. Oh, what's that? It's the spur cycle multi tool. They make like fancy all metal bike bells. Oh. And um, it's like they just call it the tool, and I just noticed that it's a nice round sixty nine dollars. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it it's a driver that drives the little ends that would go in like a um like a Makita, like a driver like mm-hmm. a bits mar- yeah, yeah quarter yeah. inch bits right, and it comes with those for the common metric allen sizes and the common torque sizes and 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 uh oh, phillips yeah and it's all titanium Ooh. and then it it has a little drive a little cylindrical driver for those that slides back and forth on a titanium shaft mm, here's nice. a picture that is and that it is, is nice. sweet oh i've seen that that's that's it's, it's super simple light, it's bitching yeah can it's I just give little, comes in a little pouch that looks like it's all of our favorite material? Uh, nice. Can I just say, Giant makes a little ratchet. Uh huh. Have you guys used that little ratchet? Uh uh-uh. it's, it's kind of like a, a mini. It's ratchet? a similar idea. It's a similar this. idea, and it's a little mini ratchet. It's yeah. Cool. Can I just give a little shout out to that thing? It's pretty awesome. I actually spun off a slightly. Well, I don't know if it was over torqued because I couldn't get a lot of <laughs> torque on that thing. But I was cranking on that little ratchet. 
Yeah. The little giant ratchet. And I managed to break loose my a pedal. Nice. And it was, um, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. And I'm surprised that that little ratchet mechanism, Yeah. I was expecting that to strip out and I was going to like, yeah, strip off all the all the skin off of every one of my knuckles. <laughs> so I I was trying to get a pedal loose. I was out on a road trip and I had a fix it stick, the steel fix it sticks, the ones that interlock. Those are the, cool. The packing mm. one. I had to get a pedal off, and I have a I had a foldable like military shovel, and I used that to get extra leverage to break the pedal loose, and I broke the fix it stick. <laughs> but, the, but did you get the pedal off? No. Did I? I don't Maybe. think I did. I think I ripped I ripped the bit out of the uh, socket of the yeah. thing. But the, the military shovel is <laughs> two and a half feet long. Right. You had enough torque. It was excessive. <laughs> I just wanted to... I was super impressed on that little giant ratchet. That's awesome. That's Man, little, that the thing tooth was... Held. Yeah. That's so awesome. Props to that. It's maybe a slightly not as slick version yeah. of the spur cycle, but the... The concept is pretty cool. That's awesome. It's probably pretty cheap. How much is the spur cycle? That thing's got to be eighty bucks. Sixty nine dollars. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, titanium. It's awesome. Yeah. I think I actually suggested that to someone. Someone was asking me like, "Hey, what do I get for a cycling gift?" I think I found that like a year ago. I was like, "You got to get them something really cool that they wouldn't buy themselves. Get a cool titanium tool." Such a simple concept. I mean, basically, it's a bit holder with a little four inch titanium rod driven through it. And you can get any bit you want. The I cool- like that concept where the the drive the driving handle slides back and forth in the driver, so you oh, can yeah. get different levers. Yeah, we recently got you know we got the Pedro's version of that for a shop tool. Oh, yeah. like it's a T handle with the sliding handles. Yes, that's nice. a really cool tool set. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. To, that feels but, good. I like vernier calipers. Oh yeah, like. And you can get knockoff digital ones. I mean, the rad ones are the the Michitoyo ones. That's like the good Japanese brand. But you can get knockoff digital veneer calipers all day long for like 20 bucks. They work pretty dang good. Oh, yeah. Probably within like a hundredth of a millimeter or something. Like. Yeah. I, <laughs> I have, I mean, every company I've ever worked at, I have like Mitotoyo mm. calipers. And, you know, they're like a hundred bucks, maybe more. And um, our Starrett. I like I use Starrett ones too at, at work, but at home I have a seventeen dollar set. Also, I'm really fond of flush cutters. Yeah, Did it, it feels like when you when you need to trim a zip tie, right. and that's what that's the only thing I use them for, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, and but when you do it, you like you know you're you've got the right tool for the job. And yeah, there's a, nice a specific cut. There's a specific brand too that has like blue handles, and I forgot the name of it, but they're uh, if you. Google flush cutters. You can find them all day long. Those are rad. Oh, I think I've told you guys this before. Maybe I've mentioned it on the show before. But there's a company, a German company, that makes tools called Weera. And Weera makes a particular type of Allen wrench that has a particular profile that can take 20% more torque before rounding. I'm still going to order those. I still have those on my list. Yeah, and so if anybody wants those, these are kind of hard to find, or maybe. I'm sure you can find them on Amazon. You go Weera. But here's the other way to get them. McMaster Car. Anybody can order from McMaster Car. It's an industrial uh, hardware online. You can get them online, but they're, they have warehouses in like Chicago and L.A. and like maybe in New York or something like that. Um, every company... If anybody's worked at a technical company, they have a McMaster account. 
um, but you can also have a personal McMaster account. Um, they're called high torque Allen wrenches. And the one thing about McMaster is they don't have brands on anything they sell, so they can switch brands, but their high torque torque wrenches are Weira torque wrenches, and they're rad. And they're like two bucks a piece, and they're so worth it. Nice. Mm. And for Allen wrenches, I have them in my toolbox, and I have tons of other Allen wrenches, and I only reach for the Weira ones. You know what other tool kind of like... That's a good tip. It has a, good, a lot of good memories for me and just good feelings about it is the King Hub tool. Mm. Yeah. That's a soup. When you need it, you need it, and it works perfect. Well, I just love how the instructions are just like, turn two turns on this, co- on this extractor. Yeah. Like, it's all very precise and anodized and, like, Once sexy. A- and- <laughs> so here's a funny story. Is once upon a time, I had a couple of King Hubs, and I had it in my head I had to get the tool. If I had King Hubs, I had to have the tool. I sold the King Hubs. Haven't gotten rid of the tool. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sexy tool. Because one day I might have another King Hub. <laughs> I'll bring my King Hubs by. <laughs> I, I I actually have never used the tool. It's Whoa. still fresh in the box. Whoa! It's That's so nice. Worth something because it's a, it's a machined Chris King tool. Yeah, like they make their the tool. It's awesome. So anyway, that's a. I think that's a. Those Allen wrenches are pretty awesome. Oh, you know the tool that I. When you've got a stripped bolt, the um, Craftsman um, uh, bolt extractor. It's like an easy out? In the easy out in multiple sizes. I do enjoy easy outs, and, and I enjoy bolt extraction. Yes. When it works, it works. And I, I feel like when it works, it's like in my head, I was like, that was a freebie. Like that really you is. Were, you were like... So close the, to... Like, the, the gods smiled on you that day. Well, except that... I don't want to... I should probably knock on wood, but I feel like in the in the last 20 years, I'm like uh, like 98 successes and two failures with bolt extractions or something. Like, that's, that's, there's not a lot of failures. That's a, that's a good success rate. I mean, there have been some that were harder than others, and there have been yeah. some failures. Some, I mean, I have broken off an easy out in there, yeah. And then that's a hard like that. That's where it starts to be like, how bad do you yeah. want to do this? Yeah. Oh, here's another thing that's really nice to have in in light of this is if you have a buggered thread, is to have a tap. So have like mm-hmm. an M six tap, like M six by one and an M five by point eight tap. But if you can source them, these are for cleaning up like buggled threads. Get a single flute tap because. The taps you typically get, say, at a typical hardware store, are going to be four flute taps or three mm, flute right. taps. Those are for cutting threads in a hole. But for cleaning up threads, a single flute tap. Mm. Interesting, because there's more contact all the time. Right. It's it's going to clean the thread more. But, man, when you have a, th- a screw that won't go in, you're like, oh, I know it's buggered. That's something that a single flute tap. And that's something nice to order and have on hand. Mm-hmm. And then there's another thing, I'm getting really into the weeds, is you may not want to have a tap handle for cleaning a thread, but you can get something which, again, it's on McMaster Car. Because it's, it's a little big and imp- unprecise. Yeah. It's heavy. And- it's called, it's, there's something you can get from McMaster, it's called a pin vise. It's like a thumb wheel almost more for a... No, no, it looks like a screwdriver handle with a, with a drill chuck on it. 
Mm. So you can chuck up the the tap and then feel it very carefully. It's like a ratcheting screwdriver handle. Yeah, General Tool makes it, and McMaster Car sells it, and it's called a pin vice. Mm. So it's a precise way to turn it instead of a forceful way to turn it. Exactly. That's it's like a it's like a drill chuck that uh, that you can hold by hand. That's what I use on my easy outs. Is a pin vice something sort of like that? It's oh, and um, it allows you to push down. Push down super hard, get a lot of downward force oh, and backwards yeah. to get that to get the end of that easy out to bite. For sure. And uh that's what I find is the toughest thing to do is to get that downward force yeah. to get that easy out to bite. As long as we're going deep on easy outs and bolt extraction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give my tips for successful easy right, out and bolt extraction. Because you seem to have a good success rate. Start with a center punch. Okay, what's the smallest bolt you've easy outed? Four mil. M4? Mm-hmm. Over and over again all day. Wow. Wait, so M4, wait, four mil head like or four bolt. mil? That's a five mil thread. So a four mil. Are you sure? Yeah, a four mil tool goes into so maybe an M5. A five, okay, maybe there's a five mil bolt. So a four millimeter Allen tool socket head cap screw. Yeah, right. Okay, that's an M5. Stem bolt. M5 by 0.8. Okay, stem bolt's the smallest. Like, okay. Consist- so, okay, so a five mil. Um, so center punch to begin with. Right. Um, so that you can... And then start with a very small drill bit. Okay, like a eighth inch? The smallest one in your kit. Like get a big kit of drill bits and do the smallest one. Right, and a fairly like, fresh, clean one, not a buggered one. Well, and this goes to one of my other favorite tool moments is a drill bit that will create like a little ribbon of material coming out Uh, how good of a feeling is that right that's pretty awesome you're like cutting material out like precisely right right so start with the smallest possible drill bit and then work your way up slowly from there until you can get the tip of the easy out in well until you have the core because an easy out will have a corresponding drill hole size yeah oh god so until you get to there right that's pretty mm. much, it. and then just slow, slowly and patient, and um, maybe some heat, and maybe some right. lubricant. Have you done helicoils to repair stripped holes? Yeah, we do that a lot in um, crank pedal, like when people re- like strip out their pedal <coughs> threads in their cranks. Oh, okay. So a uh, uh, a helicoil for anybody who hasn't heard is if you strip a hole, like a threaded hole, you then drill it out slightly bigger and then there's a special tap and a special insert that inserts new steel threads. And typically you're going to strip out of... Sometimes it's like almost looks like a spring that you're like threading in and then other times it's more of like an insert with threads in it. Yeah, there's various... Uh, Maybe both of those are called helicoils. I think there's a helicoil. I think there's one called a time cert. There's, There's various brands that do thread repair inserts. I've heard sometimes the outcome is stronger than the beginning, than the original. Yes, because typically the insert is steel, and a lot of times you stripped out aluminum threads. So, right. Yeah. And also, typically, the insert is a bigger hole with coarser threads mm, going yeah. in. Correct. Yeah. Oh, I got another. The helicoil, that's a, good, that's a good tip. Yeah, the helicoils are nice, and they're relatively inexpensive. You can get a helicoil kit on Amazon all day long for, like, 20 bucks. My friend, really, like, I'm not sure how this connects to the conversation, but I feel like it does. 
um, we were about to go on a ride the other day, and my buddy Mike broke for I don't know how he did this, but he broke his seat collar bolt. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that ended the ride for him, and of course, I I couldn't let him go drink at the brewery alone, mm-hmm. so that ended the ride for me too. <laughs> um, but it got me thinking, like everyone needs a little like extra bolt kit. Yeah, like I do that st- for dirt bikes. A stem bolt, a rotor bolt, chain ring bolt, chain ring bolt. Yep. So not that anyone you I mean. Not you use chain ring bolts. bolts anymore. So basic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I'm going to put together the hero kit. Nice. Maybe I'll hand them out. That'd be awesome. Oh, I got as long that. as it doesn't weigh 30 pounds like Mac. Like, yeah, I like know. Mac. No, I'm talking about like a little like patch kit size container. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the right with bolts. like just like eight key things. Yeah. Can I just say thanks to um, Sunshine? Our oh good, yeah, our good friend Jake, because he actually is the reason why I carry um, a spare. Cleat. Oh, cleat bolt, yeah, cleat bolt. Cleat bolt would for sure be in the hero kit. Yep, because that's a. But also, picture like if you have that kit in your car or in your pack. Like, picture how many times you're gonna like be able to save yeah. someone's ride. Be a hero derailleur, um, derailleur pulley bolt. And I used mm. this hasn't happened a long time, but I used to carry a spare derailleur pulley and derailleur pulley bolt because when those things fall off, you lose the pulley. I bet that little bolt is a random size that fits in other bike stuff too. It's a water bottle. You you, you can use a water bottle cage bolt for a derailleur pulley. Yeah, it's M M five by point eight and typically about the right length. Hmm. Well, you know our good friend Maxwell. He just has a whole range of. Seat post collar. <laughs> Maxwell's coming <laughs> on the show, and I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, for sure. We, we should, him have, we should weigh his pack on the show. I know. It's like more than a small child. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, I've got one more tool I was going to throw out. Again, I might have mentioned this before. Leatherman has a product in their lineup called the Crunch. And the Leatherman Crunch is um, mm-hmm. their Vice Grips version of a Leatherman. That's a good one. And I think that thing is rad. Because when... when Things are going sideways, and you're pulling out a Leatherman on the trail. Uh, needle nose pliers or vice grips? Which one's probably going to get you out of trouble better? Vice and I grip. vote on the vice grips. The other thing that's really cool about the uh, crunch is that um, the screw that adjusts the tension or the clamping force of the vice grips, you back that all the way out, it's a quarter-inch receiver for bits. I'm going to go ahead and um, give a shout-out to my bike fitters out there and say some of my favorite tools are the goniometer. Ah, the four foot level, nice, mm-hmm. and the plumb bob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, for some reason, I, I I hope someone makes a spoof bike YouTube video called Plumb Bob Millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I, the plumb bob actually, that is very handy. For once you've got a bike fit. The plumb bob is useful if you know relative spacings of where your ideal fit is. Oh, right. Like if you know what your preferred like fore aft is on a saddle. For sure. I've used my plumb bob many times for that. Yeah. Chainsaws are cool. Chainsaws are very cool. But you know <laughs> what gives me better feelings than a chainsaw, uh, chainsaw is the chainsaw sharpening tools. Ooh. Is that right? Yeah, the little feel, the like sharpening, the, uh, like the feeler gauge and the round file, and the, yeah. it's a good feeling. It's 
I recently bought not a chainsaw sharpening kit, but a like a knife sharpening kit. It's it's not the. I know there's a whole subculture about knife sharpening, but this one's pretty basic. Like a stone or like a the Spiderco sharpening kit. It basically it? it basically has um, two sets of sharpening stones, and they set at like a V at, at a V, and you just draw your knife up and down on it. So vertically. It, it assumes a bevel angle, correct? So like the the twenty degree bevel angle on each side of the blade. Now, do you think you're sharpening it or just honing it? You are sharpening it. Sharpening it. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, because a lot of times when we're sharpening it, we're really just like straightening the edge out. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The stroke taking off, straightening the edge. Knife is a good tool. The knife is a good tool to to have on the... How many times have you used a knife on this trail side as part of your tool? Like to cut an apple or something? Something. Yeah. On Man. The... Just, just just thinking of that just made me think that the person that killed a mountain lion with their bare hands. Oh, my gosh. I read about that, too. I'm going to make a weird admission. I felt like, and I don't think I'm the only one, I felt like strangely vindicated when that happened. Because I never wanted to admit that I think I could kill a mountain lion with my bare hands because I think it makes me sound like a flat earther or something. <laughs> Like, but I always felt like I know I know it could like jump over an eight foot fence with me in its mouth and stuff. But like, couldn't I just strangle it? <laughs> yeah, if it was an eight month old, is that how old this one was? Yeah, uh, I I know a number of mountain bikers that ride with a with a I knife mean, I, on their sh- the sh- shoulder. Fergus, <laughs> I mean, I think it was more oh. or less fully grown. It might not have had. No, it might not have been I, wise. I don't know. I I read. Oh yeah, well I read. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, one of the stories, I'm sure there's a gajillion of them out there, was saying that it looked like it was approximately a year, maybe less old. So, at what age do you think they're fully grown? Well, th- they were saying, according to this, it might have been like in the like thirty to somewhere between twenty and four, thirty and forty pounds. Oh, I read eighty. <laughs> I read that too. <laughs> Okay. Wow. So it might have been 20 or 30 or 80. Yeah. Depending on what less than a year old. What fake news you're into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it was a 20 or 30 pound mountain lion, then it really doesn't vindicate my <laughs> hubris. <laughs> <laughs> the less than a year old unwise. To me, less than a year old is. The, it's probably not as wise and tenacious as an older lion, but like it's pretty much fully grown. I don't know, is it? If it's a year old. Well, I mean, I think cats and dogs are like fully grown at about eight to ten months usually, but maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. Or like at like close to their mature like stat. They might put on some muscle, but mm. they're like their frame. Like mm. they're like a 16 year old right. person. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Fully but yeah, functional. that's, I mean, Lethal. regardless, <laughs> regardless. I never want to take on that bobcat. I mean, I wouldn't want to fight a house cat. Yeah, exactly. Truth be told, <laughs> you know those little. You see the little bobcats that, that, you know, every once in a while at the you know local parks or whatever. I mean, if yeah. a mouse charges me in the kitchen, that thing could take. Me. I am gonna fight back, but I'm gonna be scared. <laughs> the possum in the backyard. I charged at it with a with a broom, and it 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 hissed back at me, and I ran away. Oh, <laughs> Dropped the broom and ran back inside. <laughs> 
Have we talked about possum battles before? I don't think we have. Oh, man. I had a really deep war going with some possums for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> like hand-to-hand? <laughs> I hit a possum as like wound up as hard as I could in the face with a... Br- I found a possum in my living room. Whoa. And it freaked me out in the middle of the night. And I hit it as hard as I could in the face with a broom handle. And because just, well, and this was because it wasn't like I was trying to shoot out the door with the room handle, and it was like hissing, act, and, like acting yeah. like a yeah, like yeah. like chest thumping back at me. Oh yeah! So I hit it as hard as I could in the face with the broom handle, and it just and I mean like I wound up and like swung like a golf yeah. club at it, yeah. like, <laughs> and it just looked at me and hissed and made like the worst smell ever. It's like, is that as, is that as good as you can do? Is that your best? And it didn't leave my living room. It shred signaled right back. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was weird. I mean, at, at, so at that point, what, what, what did you do? So. Choke it out. I can't remember exactly, but it ended up playing dead at, oh, at some point at my house. Stuck and up your house. It just, yeah, and it just keeps emitting a worse and worse smell. And eventually, I, I, eventually while it was playing dead, I just pretty much like, swept it out the door. Wow, where where was that? Was that in Tustin? Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah. Well, because I had I had a possum that was that smelled really bad, but it, it was smelling really bad for two three weeks, maybe two three weeks. It died in actually also. really. It, Ooh. it actually died under. I used to have a deck in my backyard, and uh, it died under the deck. And for a while, I thought it was in the something had died in the walls. Oh, is that strong? And then one day, I was sniffing around the baseboards along the backside of the house. And I got to my back window, and I was still sniffing, and my head kind of like poked out the, you know, from the wall to the window, along the baseboards. Yeah, and that's when I realized I was like, "It's outside." I die with it. Almost, <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's "That under reminds my me deck. of another one of my favorite tools is the like three foot like um, like claw hand like claw thing that you can pick stuff up with." Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like those toy hands that you used to right. yeah. <laughs> except the real one. Okay, this is not a bike tool, although that three foot is sort of, but this is not a bike tool and it came in very handy. Is the is the attachment on the end of a well my new favorite tool actually is the extension pole. Just the pole itself that has the screw on the end that you can attach any number yeah, of like a window cleaner yeah. or like a brush to clean your van. Yep, yep. A camera holder. Nice. A rain gutter cleaner. So with the camera holder, you can screw like a little like a uh, like the quarter twenty adapter or the yeah. and you can tripod mount. You can hold your little uh, hold your iPhone on the end of it and reach it up to your second story and videotape your uh, your rain gutters. Whoa, and that's a rad idea. You pull it down and then you're oh my rain gutters are dirty and then you put on the rain gutter. I could have like, told you that. Yeah, you've <laughs> you've probably done that. And then you put on the little rain gutter like clamping thing. Yeah. Because I know because my rain gutters were clogged in this past rain that we had last week. Uh huh. And my gutters were overflowing. So my son and I went out and we strapped on that little rain gutter cleaner and it was magic. Nice. That's awesome. Anyways, it's not a bike tool, but it is one of my favorites in the garage right now. Yeah. Well, Home Depot does more sales than bike shops. So <laughs> <laughs> everybody has a home or something that they need from Home Depot. Other favorite bike tools? I mean, I use it so much that I'm a big fan of the shock pump. Mm. I just got a digital shock pump, and I love it. 
Oh, by who? Uh, it, I, I have a feeling there's one company making all the shock pumps for all the companies, mm. but the one I got is the Fox one. But I, I think whatever. Sure. I've seen various brands, quote Versions, unquote, of the yeah. digital one, and I think there's one source in China they all get them from. Yeah. But I really like the Digi one. I use it all. I reach for that. I have like three or four others. I only grab the Digi one. I like Dremel tools. I like um, hmm. I like the we got these um, lithium ion brushless handheld, like a um, like an electric impact driver and an electric um, like just driver driver. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. real small and light. Those are awesome. Nice. You can take pedals on and off with them real fast. You can torque oh, down wow. rotor bolts with them. That's awesome. Like you can remove a rotor in moments. Makes yeah. you kind of feel like you're in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So the lithium battery system seemed to really been a huge improvement on cordless tools. But we used to use like the DeWalt drivers. Yeah. Which were yeah. cool and we we would wear one out every few years. Yeah. But these little handheld brushless um Makitas, they're like half the size and weight. Oh wow. What's the voltage? Are they like the big 18-volt batteries? It's at least 18. That's cool. Nice. I've been building the van. I bought a bunch of cordless, like, Ryobi, mm. like, wood tools. Right, right, Circular right. saw, drill, jigsaw, all that stuff. So Cordless? Yeah, I got on the Ryobi cordless, which is the bright yellow mm-hmm. stuff at Home Depot. And, you know, they like have the a lot. the greenish yellow, right? Yeah, and then you can get knockoff batteries, knockoff lithium batteries on mm-hmm. Amazon for like half the price. Yep. So I bought the tools at Home Depot, and I buy a bunch of batteries off Amazon. The Dremel tool is pretty amazing, by the way, for even like just many different applications. But to kind of file down after you've yeah. trimmed your 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 fork steer. Yeah. Oh, speaking of trimming down. There's a little tool called a deburring tool that's really nice to have and maybe something that someone's never worked in a machine shop or something has probably never seen. And it looks like a little like S-turn thing and it like swivels. And so you can just wrap it around a hole and it cuts the deeper. Like if you edge. cut a steer tube, for example, and you steer want to take tube, the little lip hand, off the cut. Yeah, handlebars, that kind of stuff. And it's the Sintase um, steer tube. It's like a pipe cutter. Yeah, that's meant for cutting steer tubes. Comes with one of those on the other end. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and it looks like a it looks like a little twirly tool. And it basically you chase it around and it, it deburs edges. Mm, and that's a great one. If if you've ever worked in a machine shop, they'll have these things sitting everywhere because you grab it and you just knock an edge off a part or something like that. It's a really common thing to deburring holes and and the pipe cutter to to use as a steer cutter is yeah. pretty, pretty awesome. It does work pretty good. Get a get a good if you're gonna get a pipe cutter, I suggest don't cheap out on that because. Um, the good ones are rigid, they're stiff, they're sharp, and they don't flex. And if you get a cheap one that's flexy and twists, the, the cut will wander or not cut well. Mm. So have a good bit and, and spend a little extra money on a good pipe cutter. Yeah, I really like using that. It really is, is useful, too, if you're doing building and, you know, there might be, like, people sleeping in the above the garage and you don't want to, like... Yeah, clamp into the vice that happens <laughs> to be clamped into the wall, <laughs> right? You right. know, <laughs> exactly <laughs> to your workbench, which just happens to be clamped into the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's a relatively quiet, quiet operation. Tool. The top shelf park steer to or um, crown race s- remover tool is pretty sweet. Yep, that feels good to use. Yep, 
that that thing is pretty awesome. Um, the one thing I kind of wish I had sometimes, and it's a really expensive tool to have as a personal tool, but the sh most shops have this, would be a disc brake tab facing tool. That was more important before post mount took over. Um, I feel like I've had a lot, a number of post mounts mm. lately that have been off. I, I've in this is specifically I want the post mount version. Yeah, because I've I've had some issues with post mount stuff. That's a fun tool. We don't have to use it that often, but it is nice when you need it. Yeah, I think it's probably retail like a six hundred dollar tool, and not something I could justify keeping in my garage. But mm. oh, I did get the park um, fishing tool recently. I haven't used it yet, but I'm glad I have it when I need it because I like putting cables through frames. Mm, yeah, it's like a little magnet tool. So if you ever have trouble with internal routing. Cool. Yeah, you can connect the magnets and yank it through. I think I've used it maybe once so far. Um, but I'm I'm pretty stoked on that. Like, um, I was working on my friend's giant trance, and that one's kind of fussy, actually, if you're running the dropper post, um, because it naturally wants to go behind the pivot, but it should go in front of the pivot. So you actually have to kind of get the, the mm. dropper post routing. You need to make sure it goes on the specific side of the pivot that passes through the seat tube. Otherwise, it kind of binds the cable or can bind the cable if you're running your seat post relatively low. What about like a bottom bracket facing tool? Anything that cuts metal I like, especially <laughs> if it does it with a lot of precision like that. Yeah. Well, so bottom like facers, chasers. Yeah. Facers, do you ever use them anymore? How often do you use a facer? Oh, at the, sh I, at the shop, I, I have not personally used one in at least a year. I would say at the shop, it's a pretty rare occasion these days compared to what it, mm -hmm. it used to be. You know, like every steel frame you got in, you would face and chase the bottom bracket, mm -hmm. or yeah. and then you would face the headset and maybe and maybe remount the head tube even. Um, but these days, that's pretty much not a thing. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. But I've had a number of frames and forks recently that the the post mount disc tabs have been not. Not jiving. Deal. Yeah. I've had to take a file by hand and just kind of, you know, hand work it over, but I sure wish I had the face. So, tool. like, it wasn't flat, like, it wasn't like perpendicular. It would, right. Yeah. Or had paint on it. Like, I had a fox fork in the paint. Okay. So, if it's it. paint and not metal, I recommend a razor blade. Ah, yeah. That would make sense. Um, yeah. So, some good favorite tools. Yep. Those are a lot. Those are a lot of good ones, for sure. Uh, anything else? How far in are we? We're about an hour and a half. Seems to be kind of like our time. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Did we get everything out that we wanted to? Uh, I'll just do the typical reminders. Um, uh, if you post pictures on Instagram and hashtag the Path Podcast, we'll typically take a look and like. Um, if you're, I think we. We were talking about this. We typically solicit questions. So if you want to send us a question, send it to podcast at thepathbikeshop.com. But I think we were talking about opening that up. You know, we've been doing this for three years. I'll be honest. Sometimes we run out of things to talk about or ideas. And if there's anything, anybody has any suggestions that they'd like us to talk about or discuss or, I mean, that's kind of like a question that'll roll into a discussion. But even if you have just say, hey, discuss this, I'd like to hear your you know, a discussion about this, feel free to let us know. Podcast at thepathbikeshop.com. Um, listener suggested ideas. Listener suggested ideas. Topics. Um, yeah, follow the Path Bike Shop on Instagram. Um, 
uh, Facebook, all that stuff. It's pretty easy to find. Um, I'm on Instagram. Nathan Heronin at Instagram. His real name. Yeah. That is pretty good. My real name's on the... Uh, 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 on the podcast, the M- uh, M- yeah. yeah, mountain bike radio podcast host thing. Yeah, I'm on there, but I I post stuff on Instagram. I think we're all on podcast or all on Instagram. Yeah, what's your Instagram? E auk E A U K. Yeah, maybe it's E underscore A U K. Yeah, something Phonetic. like that. <laughs> Phonetic. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly follow the Path Bike Shop on on inst- Instagram. Um, Val, who was on the show last week, does our social media now, and it's go. It's looking really great. She's putting lots of great content. So if you want to really stay up to date with what's going on at the shop, follow the shop on Instagram. I really like the direction that the race team's going to. Thanks, Auk. Yeah. No, I'm really. I you know. I I I tried really hard to get Val, and I worked really. I mean, it was. It was something where I like had like notes for months about like maybe this approach would work to get Val to come yeah. up with the path <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm really happy that she did and it's kinda of going as planned and, and yeah, she's yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, the social media has been great. The info I think has been yeah. really good. Um the com- the communication through the social media has been um um very good. I'm Agreed. I'm pretty sweet. Yeah, right. That's all I got. All right, for Nathan and Ock, this is Tawny saying, Love the bike you ride. I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Yeah.